story set in another place and another culture. In fact, another type of culture, an honor-shame culture. Anyway, to set the scene, Naomi lived in Bethlehem during the time of the judges. And the judges were religious rulers who governed the nation of Israel between the time of Moses and Joshua and then later on the kings like Saul and David. The people of Israel were living in the land that God had promised them, but they were beset with war with their neighbours. Every summer you went out and had a scrap with the neighbouring nations, and the day-to-day grind of trying to survive wasn't easy. Naomi was a peasant trying to eke out a living off the land that her husband Elimelech had inherited. However, there were a lot of people below her on the social pyramid. Widows, orphans, resident aliens, who for whatever reason had fled their own countries. As tough as things got, she was better off than all of them. She had land. She had a husband. She had two sons to look after her if she survived into old age. Many people, probably most of her neighbours, would have envied her situation. Well, then one year, famine came. There was no food. And life got a whole heart, lot harder for everyone. But Elimelech knew that on the other side of the Dead Sea, about 120 k's away, was the land of Moab. A friend of his was a Moabite trader who passed through Jerusalem occasionally and heard about this land of Moab where land was cheap and the rains always came. A good land. Elimelech wanted a a good future and a quiet life for him and his kids. He was convinced that the famine was God's punishment on Israel. Chemosh, God of the Moabites, didn't sound quite such an angry God as Yahweh, the God of Israel, did. They still had rain, and their crops still grew. So, One day he sold his field and he, Naomi and their sons set off from Bethlehem. The local priest tried to persuade them to stay. He said, look, you're you're leaving your inheritance, you're abandoning God. But Elimelech said, oh look, we're only just going for a while, we'll be back. Felt to Elimelech and Naomi like a good move for them and their family. Everyone else thought they were quite bold in doing this, which probably felt pretty good too. In those days, people did not move country unless typically they were driven out. Naomi and Elimelech's decision to emigrate to Moab marked them out as higher status people. The poor didn't have that option. So Naomi left Bethlehem with her head held high plan was that when things got better in Israel, they'd return. Elimelech would buy back his field and their lives would continue on as before. Well, they trotted off. And shortly after, they arrived in Moab. They found that everything, it was, it was everything they hoped it would be. The fields were rich and the locals quite welcoming. Their, their Jewishness was a bit of a novelty rather than a problem, so everyone wanted to know them. Things were good for a while, 
two years in, Elimelech died suddenly. He wasn't sick, he just keeled over in the field one day and he never got up, leaving Naomi a widow before her time. Huge shock. They were soulmates, they'd been together since their early teens. She was heartbroken, but she consoled herself that she still had her two sons, Marlon and Killian. Bethlehem, that life she'd known, seemed a long time ago now. Her life there becoming a distant memory. Her boys had grown, and they'd married nice local girls, Moabites called Orpah and Ruth. Now, Orpah was the person that Mrs. Winfrey named Oprah Winfrey after, but she didn't quite read it carefully enough. Now, Moabite marrying uh, uh, Jewish men, marrying Moabite women, was not forbidden in the Jewish law, but the prospect of returning home now seemed a long, long way off. They were making a new life. No longer now as sort of emigres who were there for a while, but really more like settlers. Naomi never consciously made the choice to stay, but the thought of returning was just no longer in her mind. She'd made a life for herself and her family, and on balance, life was pretty good. Moab was where Elimelech was buried, and she liked to go to his tomb to chat to him occasionally. Then disaster struck again. Bedouin raiders from the desert came charging in, killed many of the men of their village, took others away to be slaves, Marlon and Killian both died defending their homes. Why them and not me? Naomi thought bitterly and angrily. Her life now seemed to be falling apart and she felt profoundly alone, a stranger in a strange land. She felt like she'd been peeled back to nothing. No one to look after her now. Her daughters-in-law could remarry local men, needed to remarry for the sake of their own futures. So she was on her own. And it seemed to her like God had just washed his hands of her. She was angry, bitter, depressed. She might be from a different age and culture and place, but we moderns can relate to those feelings, eh? Anger, bitterness, depression. It's a modern anthem. She knew she needed to go home. And word was that there was now plenty of food in Israel. It was the first time that she had thought of home for a very long time. Maybe there was some hope there. Maybe. There was nothing left for her in Moab. All the men in her life, the men that she had loved, were dead. Her daughter-in-laws helped her pack what little she had, and all three of them set off for Bethlehem and Judah. They wanted to come with her. They were, they were sweet. They were good girls, but it just, it just wasn't right. She knew that she couldn't take them away from their homes. It was going to be hard enough for her to survive, let alone if somehow she had to provide for them as well. Their prospects of finding a husband in Israel were weak, as there was quite a stigma 
for a Jewish man to marry a Moabite woman. So Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you've been kind to my sons and me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find another husband. And she kissed them and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? I'm, go I'm not going to have any more sons who could become your husbands. Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me. Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord has judged me. To Naomi, God was punishing her. So part of her bitterness was the sense that what had happened to her was her fault. She didn't acknowledge that Ruth and Orpah had lost a lot too. They were now widows with very uncertain prospects. Even if they stayed in Moab, would they be able to find Moabite husbands? They'd been married for a while and had not had any children. Were they infertile? At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. And she replied famously, Don't make me leave you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you from me. Big stuff. It's a vow. That's a promise before God. And I imagine Naomi standing there thinking to herself, I don't have a people, and my God, if he is my God, he hates me. But she didn't have any fight left in her. So she relented, defeated. My husband is gone, my sons have gone, God is judging me, and now I have to worry about Ruth as well. Well, who cares? I sure don't. So they walked on in silence. Naomi, consumed by her deep feelings of rage and bitterness and her fear about the future. And a week later, they arrived in Bethlehem. Everyone came out to see them. Could this be Naomi, they asked, who had left so long ago? Her old neighbour saw her. Naomi, sweetie, is that you? Naomi thought to herself, even my name makes no sense anymore. I'm nobody's sweetie. That's what Naomi meant. Pleasant, sweet. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Bob. Because God has made my life bitter. I went away full, but he's brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? God has punished me. He tortures me. The Almighty has made me suffer. He has taken away my husband and my sons, and I have nothing left. Nothing. Another modern anthem of trauma, depression, through 
anger turned inwards and hopelessness. Perhaps thrown in suicidal thoughts as well, we don't know. Well, at this reaction, unsurprisingly, the crowd parted as Naomi and Ruth trudged silently through town looking for somewhere to sleep. Anywhere. They found somewhere, pitched a tent, and next day Ruth went out to glean, following the harvesters and gathering the bits of barley that they had missed. Naomi stayed put in her makeshift tent home. I don't really know where I came back, but I'm here. Ruth has gone out to the field to gather the gleanings like a beggar, but I just can't do it. Why should I? I used to be someone here. So should I now assume the position of the lowest of the low? I can't do it. I won't do it. Besides, it's dangerous. Someone might try and take advantage of me. Yet another 2024 anthem. She's paralysed by guilt and by shame. That night, Ruth came back to town carrying a large bag of grain and a meal for Naomi. Cue the entrance of the God of grace who looks after the lost sheep, even those, even those that have deliberately got lost. Naomi asked her, perking up, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she'd been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. Oh, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, moods perking up. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Naomi's hope rekindles at the prospect that there might be a man to provide for her. A kinsman redeemer was a male relative of her late husband, Elimelech, who could step in, buy the family field, marry Ruth, and then take the family line forward. Then Ruth, the Moabitess, said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they've finished harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. Well, she hadn't worried about that earlier that day when she sent her out. Ruth had entered into an extremely dangerous situation for a single foreign woman to be in alone. While later, Naomi said to Ruth, I would like to see you married and provided for. Boaz is my husband's cousin, and tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Put your war paint on with your best gear. This is the Rod's translation. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I think the translation of that might be something like gently spoon him. It's my best guess. I used to have a little dog, a little chihuahua, and I'd be three quarters away asleep and I'd hear this, and I'd feel this little presence on my back as he gently spooned me. A bit like that. What was in Naomi's mind? Did she hope, no doubt she hoped that Ruth was going to you know, um, Boaz was offered to marry Ruth. But think about the context. He was likely to be half cut after the feast, 
And then he sees this perfumed, war-painted young woman lying suggestively, suggestively at his feet. Did Naomi hope that they would sleep together and then shame Boaz into marrying her? We don't know. But what we can say is she put Ruth at huge risk of minimum seduction, maximum rape. And her reputation would be as nothing because she had gone to the threshing floor herself. Naomi was happy to push Ruth into taking that huge risk. Now enter from stage right again, the gracious God who made heaven and earth and loves his people. Early the next morning, Ruth returns with a huge bag of barley. Her trust of Boaz has been rewarded. Boaz had offered to be her kinsman redeemer, but there was a closer male relative who had the right of first refusal. He'd let her sleep at his feet until morning when he had snuck her out of the threshing floor so that no one else would see. He was clearly a righteous and holy man in the non-judgy sense of those words. Well, Naomi told Ruth, just look, just wait and see what happens, that Boaz would sort things out. Later that morning, the closer relative gave up his right to redeem and Boaz bought the field. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and she gave birth to a son. This was wonderful for both Ruth and Naomi because Ruth and Killian had not had any kids. So I imagine Naomi was worried that Ruth might be barren and that she might be cheated out of the joy of having a grandchild. And on the day that little Obed was born, the village women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. This was a huge thing for them to say because in those days, seven sons was the ideal family. They saw the value of Ruth, even if Naomi didn't seem to. But Naomi did not respond. She just took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. And the woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. The gospel here is in action as this family is restored and made whole, given a future and a hope. And the story of Naomi ends happily ever after. Sorry, Al, it's not quite finished. Let's have a look at Naomi's choices. She and Elimelech leave Judah for Moab when there's a famine. They leave the promised land. They leave the land their recent ancestors wandered for 40 years through the desert for escaping Pharaoh. They leave the land that Joshua and the people fought for and many died for. And one day, they just abandon their inheritance and their community because, hey, it looks a bit better down the road. They acted completely in accordance with the spirit of their age. There's this phrase that's scattered through the book of Judges. 
and each person did what was right in their own eyes. And that's what they did. Where did they go? They went to Moab, whose people worshipped the god Chemosh. And Chemosh was a bit of a nasty piece of work because when things got difficult in Moab, he wanted child sacrifices, thank you. You didn't want to live in Moab in a family, in a famine, sorry. You wouldn't have much of a family left. Great choice. Not. That was the God that Naomi was trying to send Ruth back to. And when they returned, Naomi sent Ruth out into a dangerous situation, gleaning in the fields by herself with no protection, not even Naomi's company there with her. Great choice. Not. But you know, folks, God uses even our bad decisions to bring good into our lives. He blesses both saint and sinner. There's a, a phrase in the Old Testament somewhere which says something like he sends the rain on the just and the unjust alike. It's true. Then she sends Ruth to Boaz at the threshing floor at great risk to Ruth's reputation, which is shown by the fact that the good man Boaz snuck her out early in the morning so that no one else would know that she'd been there and had visited him. Great choice, not. Again, God's busy making a silk purse out of a sow's ear. But look at Naomi's God. She sees her husband and her son's demise as some sort of personal judgment on her. It's all about her. Her God, in her mind, is unkind and he's vindictive and she is passive and powerless. So she takes no responsibility, whatever, for her bad choices. To her, she is just the plaything of a cruel God, like a cat playing with a mouse. Boaz and the villagers can see Ruth's value, but Naomi, who is repeatedly blessed in the story through Ruth, cannot. Then later, when Obed is born, the women of the village say, Ruth is worth seven sons. But even then, Naomi does not acknowledge the shining pearl that is Ruth. Little Obed becomes the grandfather of King David. And he stands in the messianic line of Jesus. God blessed Naomi extravagantly to further his ultimate purpose of saving us, to saving his church. The real point of Ruth is not a morality tale. Be loyal like Ruth is not the take-home from this. The take-home is that the saving purposes of God is, are being outworked in and through his community and that 3,000 years ago he was at work on the plan to save a people to himself of which we are a part. Look at Naomi's blessings. Ruth was God's primary means of redeeming Naomi. God is this unseen matchmaker in the story, causing good to come out of Naomi's questionable choices and shaping both Ruth and Boaz into the kind people that they were. Naomi did not deserve a Ruth, but God blessed her despite herself through the people around her, 
don't know about you, but my experience has been very similar. I don't deserve the extraordinary blessings that I have received. And that awareness underpins my core belief that God is good and he likes me. Is that how you see God? Because if you've got a bit of Naomi about you and you think he's punishing you or he's indifferent to you, then you will get stuck. Because the God you're worshipping is not the God we were singing to this morning. God's goodness to Naomi and to us is not really limited by our human weakness. Praise Jesus. He can redeem us again and again and again. And he can bring kindness into our lives through the most surprising people. Think about the people in your life. Family. Close friends. Who has God put in your corner to be a blessing to you? And while you are looking and thinking about those people, is there someone you might be the kinsman redeemer for? Someone that you are close to who looks to you? That would be a good person to share your struggles with. And, and in the flip side of how God leads you through. If they aren't interested, that's fine. But they may be closer to salvation than you think. I didn't look very promising as a 16-year-old skeptic with a chip about the church. But here I am, 40 years later, a professional God-botherer. Funny things can happen along the way. If you don't believe that, read Ruth again. Amen. Could the musos please come up? We've got a final song.